Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is episode number 89, released on October 3rd, 2018. Today, we will talk about Wimdu shutting down, the biggest funding deal of the week, and British newspapers demanding money from Facebook and Google. There are also two interviews lined up, uh, one with Oskar Yazdowski, who is setting up a Silicon Valley Bank in uh, Germany, and the other with uh, Kelly Adam, the program manager of a new Techstars acceleration program in Amsterdam. I'm your host today, Andre Degeler, a tech journalist based in Amsterdam, joined today by Natalie Novik, our research analyst and feature writer. Hi, Natalie. How is it going? Hi, Andre. It's going great. Looking forward to doing another episode of the podcast. Are you home now in Edinburgh? I'm home for just a brief moment. I'll be heading off to Paris tomorrow morning for Mondial Tech. Right. So we've got something prepared later in the show about uh, this uh, conference. I'm also not home these days. I'm in my hometown of Kharkiv and uh, just seen my friends and parents. So yeah, I will be back in Amsterdam in about two days. So let us dive straight into the news. We've got some over the past uh, few days. And the first one is going to be about a company called Wimdu that can be headlined as another one by the dust. Wimdu is a German copycat of Airbnb and it has confirmed that it will shut down by the end of 2018. And the company was founded in 2011 uh, within Rocket Internet, a venture builder that's headquartered in uh, Berlin. And the interesting thing about uh, the news is that uh, Wimdu was a quite well-founded startup. Uh, it has raised a total of $90 million from uh, Rocket and uh, Kinevik. It also had about 400 employees at some point shortly after raising that uh, 90 million round. Uh, but later on, it had to make uh, a few rounds of uh, downsizing. Wow. So given this news, how many people will be out of a job over at Wimdu? So according to the company itself, it is uh, 100 people. According to an earlier report uh, uh, of uh, Grunderstene, it's uh, uh, 110 people. So it's in that in that ballpark. And all these people will need to leave uh, by the end of this year. So we reported on this story on a Thursday morning. And uh, later that day, uh, the company issued a, an official statement announcing that it will shut down uh, by the year's end because of, uh, quote, uh, significant financial and business challenges, unquote. The company also said that it will still take care of the guests who have bookings before the end of 2018. And for the later bookings, the guests will be contacted individually. This is actually the end of a pretty troubled period uh, for uh, Vimdu as a company, which started around 2016. Back then, it had to lay off 60 out of 250 employees in order to stay afloat. 
and then it was acquired uh, by a competitor called Nine Flats. And then uh, it started kind of uh, changing hands a few times uh, together with Nine Flats. It was first acquired by uh, Nova Sol, a Danish uh, holiday apartment operator. And then uh, earlier in 2018, Nova Sol itself uh, got acquired by uh, a financial investor, Platinum Equity, as part of a deal with uh, uh, Windham Worldwide that was worth uh, some $1.3 billion. So according to the report in uh, Grunderstene, uh, it was uh, Platinum Equity, the financial investor, uh, that has decided to pull the plug on Wimdu after all. So if you had a booking with uh, Wimdu, check your inbox. Most probably they wrote you something. Wow. So Wimdu has really kind of been shuffled around with all of these different acquisitions all around Europe in the last two years. Uh, and it definitely didn't do it any good. I mean, uh, most probably if it... I think it had a better chance of staying afloat if uh, it did not uh, have to change hands uh, like this. But I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. And I mean, it's not the first and probably not, not the last uh, copycat that, uh, is, uh, that, that is being sh shut down. Uh, Rocket Internet has kind of faced some criticism for building a number of these copycat businesses which I think is somewhat unjustified, but it would seem that Europe would be able to sustain a appropriate alternative to Airbnb. Yeah, that's true. But also, I, I think that uh, Wimdu at uh, many points was kind of an object for some quite some scrutiny. They had some issues uh, with uh, like some reported scam uh, on the platform and so on. And I don't think they also addressed it properly. So that might be part of the reason. Now, the next point in our agenda today is an interview with uh, Oskar Yazdowski, uh, a person who is setting up uh, Silicon Valley Bank in Germany, recorded uh, by our founding editor, uh, Robin Wouter. So we will be back with the news in a few minutes. Hey, Robin Wouters from uh, Tech.eu. I'm still here at the Bits and Pretzels conference in Munich, and I'm sitting down with Oscar, who just opened Silicon Valley Bank in Germany. I didn't even know SVB was in Germany. How long has that been the case? Yeah, no, we uh, we officially got our banking license in uh, May, opened up in June. Uh, we've been looking at Germany for some time because of the uh, deep history of, a, of the technology innovation ecosystem that Germany's had. And then when you match that with what's been happening with fundraising over the past few years and the number of new venture startups throughout the country, uh, it was clear that Germany was our next port of call in Europe after after the UK. Great. Well, welcome to Germany. Um, maybe take a step back, uh, sort of explain what Silicon Valley Bank is and does and how they're different from the other banks. Yeah, so so we're very fortunate, you know, the elevator pitches that we are the main bank to the technology innovation and venture capital and private equity world pretty much globally. And to put that in context, in the U.S. today, we've got 27 offices around the U.S. And in some geographic regions, we literally bank 65 to 70 percent of every venture-backed startup company in the United States. So we're very fortunate to have an incredible penetration of the of, of startup activity there. And today, also uh, in the U.S. and globally, we bank uh, close to 2,500 venture capital and private equity firms. So as a result of that, we're really 
at the center of the technology venture capital ecosystem. And obviously, we start with companies uh, at an early stage, and they grow to become middle market companies and large private companies and public companies. So today, we really bank technology companies up and down the whole food chain. Um, most of our activity is, in fact, with more mature companies, but we're very fortunate to have this, uh, this great insight as to what's happening with venture and technology globally, because now we have operations in Israel, in China through a joint venture bank. Uh, we're opening up in Canada. We have the big operations in the UK and now obviously here in Germany. So we really are lucky. What do you think the next destination uh, within uh, Europe will be? Well, obviously, obviously Scandinavia has been very active for many years. A lot of great startups coming out of Sweden, Finland, Denmark's got a, got a strong history. So we've been spending time in Scandinavia uh, outside uh, from our UK office. And then you look at what's been happening in the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal. I mean, you know, five years ago, people wouldn't have mentioned Spain or mm. Portugal as a technology eco-hub. Uh, eco now, now that's happening. So it's, it's the great thing about technology it's everywhere, and it's just a question of making sure you've got the right environment for entrepreneurs, coupled with access to capital and, ven uh, and venture, and then the thing can be, then, then it can start taking off. Um, it's early days still for you in Germany, uh, but what are some of the things, uh, the key takeaways that you've learned in the last uh, few months since you've uh, opened, set up the office here? Well, what excites us about Germany is that there's a lot of engineering tech in Germany. Yes, you know, Berlin is well known for its uh, B2C activities, etc., and there's a lot of interesting B2C activities. But when you look at, when you look at uh, Germany's uh, history, very, very strong in engineering. There's a lot of engineering tech that we're beginning to see, coupled obviously with life sciences, medical devices, uh, clean energy renewables. So it's got all the sectors that are, that are interesting uh, to, uh, uh, to grow an ecosystem here. But that's what, that's what struck me first. There's a lot of engineering tech here, which is fun. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, but I also feel like that most of the tech activity is concentrated in, in Berlin, Munich, and maybe some other places. Uh, but then your office is set up in Frankfurt. Uh, what was the reason for that? And do you think that will remain the case? Well, you know, uh, Frankfurt was a safe place to go because we're a bank and bank tends to go to Frankfurt. Um, we looked at, we debated um, uh, Berlin long and hard. But one of the reasons we decided not to go into Berlin was that we were, we were a little bit concerned that everybody might immediately see us as a startup bank. And yes, we do love startups and we bank startups, but we do a tremendous amount with working capital financing, acquisition financing, uh, uh, leverage buyout financing. We do a lot of lending to the venture capital and private equity firms, to the funds directly, uh, bridge financing. So most of our activity, most of our loan activity globally uh, doesn't come from startups. It comes from mature companies. So although we love startups, uh, we were a little bit fearful not to get pigeonholed if we went to Berlin. So Frankfurt's a great place. Uh, it's centrally located. We will put people into Munich and into Berlin over time. But also, you know, uh, the technology marketplace in Germany is pretty scattered. Yes, there's a concentration in uh, in Berlin. But really, you find technology companies everywhere. And of course, the hidden champions are everywhere around Germany as well from that perspective.
That all makes a lot of sense to me. Um, final question, what do you think of the conference so far and what, what are things, the things you've learned from uh, some of the speakers here? Well, you know, it's always great. You can always judge a conference by the energy. And the energy is obviously uh, maintained by, by the people, the enthusiasm, the speakers, etc. And so Bits, uh, Bits and Pretzels got a great, strong energy. A lot of early stage companies here, some of them pre-funded, uh, but you no, know, uh, uh, great speakers uh, focusing on what's important, you know, you know various breakouts sessions on scalability, fundraising, culture building, hiring, all the things which young entrepreneurs need to learn about. So I think not only is it a great conference to network in, but you can actually learn some skills that you need to have as an entrepreneur to grow a, a business successfully. Good. Final, final question, because I know you have the outfit. Are you actually going to Oktoberfest tomorrow? I, not only am I going to Oktoberfest, I'm actually one of the, one of the table captains for uh, Brits and Pretzels. So uh, I'm looking forward to that greatly. Fantastic. Well, so am I. So uh, we'll get to meet over beer set tomorrow again. Thank you so sure. much, uh, Oscar, for your time. Thanks so much, Robin. Great fun. Thanks. Hello again. We are back to our podcast of Tech.U number 89. And we are back to the news. Natalie, please tell us about the biggest deal of the week. Sure thing. So the biggest deal that was reported last week goes to Siba Crypto, a Swiss startup that raised 100 million Swiss francs, which translates to about 88 million euros. And Siba Crypto is in the process of building a crypto bank. You might have heard that there are quite a few companies that are out there doing this, but this is a pretty notable venture here. So they're based in Zug, which had become an incredible hotbed for blockchain and a real place of excitement for all things crypto. Some reports put over 500 crypto and blockchain related startups in Zug and in Zurich. So it has a real ecosystem there and it's supported largely by the government. So that that's something that um, is helping to contribute to this flourishing of activity, Swiss banking. While there are many companies out there trying to bridge this gap between crypto and traditional banking, indeed, I spoke to a really promising company in this space in Copenhagen last week at Tech Barbecue. But what stands out about Siva Crypto is the team that they've put together. So they have a real bona fide Swiss banking pedigree. Both their chief executive, Guido Buhler, and their chairman, Andreas Armschwand, both come from the Swiss banking giant UBS. And it also speaks to some of the offerings that they hope SIBA will be able to provide for their customers that is a little bit different than what some of these other crypto banks are offering. So they're looking to support corporate financing advising on ICOs and corporate banking services to both companies and cryptocurrency groups. Something else that also stands out about this deal in comparison to the many other deals that are done in the crypto blockchain space is that the investment was raised through private venture rather than doing an ICO. And part of this might be due to the laws in Switzerland Companies that raise funding through ICOs have different oversight mechanisms, and they're a lot more strict than those that raise funding through more traditional means. So similarly, cryptocurrency companies in Switzerland and elsewhere, it should be noted, have had some difficulty gaining access to banking services. So Siva Crypto does not yet have a banking and securities dealer license, 
but one's in the works and they certainly have enough funding to put this in play. So this question of where you should invest your crypto is is becoming a bit more complicated, but hopefully there's a lot more better options that are out there. And the more companies that get involved in this space, the better off customers should be. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I'm normally pretty skeptical towards uh, everything about uh, cryptocurrencies and uh, whatever on blockchain type of projects. Uh, but uh, yeah, for sure, when there is like normal funding involved uh, in this uh, kind of volumes. I do believe that something can really come up. And uh, I do hope that this will be this will make uh, the life better and easier for people uh, in the space. I definitely think that criticism of the crypto and blockchain companies, I think that's fair, especially because a lot of the times these companies really developed with this idea of kind of completely disrupting the entire system. This idea of democratizing money or kind of taking away these institutions that we've seen just have been a bit too durable. So it's, it's, Nice to see a company that's really trying, that's kind of has this awareness of, well, we have these traditional sorts of banking institutions and trying to bridge this to these new technologies. Um, I think it comes from a very different space and mindset that, that might have an opportunity of having a lot of success. And the investors are, are definitely identifying quite some potential here. Right. No, yeah, I fully agree. And uh, so let's follow uh, this story. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Okay. So uh, next up, another interview. This one is uh, uh, recorded at an event called Angel Island, uh, where I uh, went uh, last week. And uh, I talked to Kelly Adam, who is the program manager of a new uh, program that uh, Techstars is uh, coming to Amsterdam with. So check out this conversation and we will be back with even more news in a few minutes. Hello, uh, this is Andre Degler by Tech.eu, recording today at Angel Island, an event uh, close to Amsterdam taking place in an abandoned fort that is mainly being used now, apparently, by entrepreneurs and investors coming here to talk, to exchange knowledge, and maybe to party afterwards. Uh, today, I'm here to catch up with uh, Kelly Adam, a soon-to-be freshly minted citizen of Amsterdam, who is coming here uh, to run a new program by the startup accelerator Techstars. Hi, Kelly. Great to meet you. Great to talk to you today. Uh, please tell more about uh, what is it you're going to be doing. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I've been in Berlin for the last two years with Techstars, a uh, year and a half with Techstars. I've done two programs there. And now I'm moving over to Amsterdam to launch our first program in the region. Um, it's in partnership with Arcadis, which is a leading uh, design and engineering consulting firm. So we're focused on um, Smart City. The, the program is called City of 2030 with Arcadis, powered by Techstars. Um, and I'm over here to, right now, be setting up our, our kind of community around the program, find some mentors, build up our investor pool, and then eventually uh, execute on the program in March 2019. Uh, March 2019, is that, uh, is that when the program starts? Yeah, exactly. So we're currently accepting applications until, um, until November 11th, 2018, and then we'll kick off the program March 4th, 2019. So what is it you're looking for? What kind of startup? Uh, what stages? Uh, what industries? 
So Techstars across the boards, all across the board, all Techstars programs are pretty stage stage agnostic. Um, so we get uh, you'll see through the companies that have gone through Techstars all different stages of funding of um, idea to MVP. Um, but we, being a, a program with a corporate partner, we do look for companies that are coming in with some sort of product ready to be tested with a partner that makes the most sense for the partner and uh, and for the entrepreneur. Absolutely. Um, what are we looking for vertical-wise? So uh, Arcadis has has a very, very diverse client pool. So um, it's a global footprint. They have 30,000 employees around the world. Their projects are very diverse. Main clients are property developers, uh, utility companies, city governments. Um, so we're looking for technologies that can be implemented with these clients. Um, a lot of construction tech, mobility, transportation, um, a lot of how people move around cities. Um, sustainability, resiliency, wa waste and water management, and so on. So it's very broad at this point, um, but as we, we go through the pro process with Arcadis, it's about refining that. So how does it uh, how does it work for you, and how does it work for startups? Uh, do you still take any equity for star from startups uh, for this program? Uh, do you still, as uh, usually accelerators would, uh, do you give any money uh, in exchange, and so on? How does it structure? Absolutely. So that's another standard across all Techstars programs. We have a standard deal. So 6% equity, common equity, um, in exchange for that 20,000 cash. But you can't really think of it as an exchange. Um, it's more, it's better to think about the 6% as a program fee. Um, and the 20,000 is kind of living expenses. So you're, you're relocating to Amsterdam for the three months. Um, so to cover those expenses, but that 6% equity is, uh, we think of ourselves as joining as sort of a co-founder. So that 6% is for that worldwide network, for the, the program, for the access and the mentorship from Arcadis. Um, and yeah, it's, it's Techstars for Life. So that, that's why it's a long-term investment. Um, we also offer a hundred thousand convertible note that's completely optional for the founders to take. Right. So uh, Techstars program is going to be the third uh, major uh, acceleration program in Amsterdam. So what do you think of this uh, sort of competition? Yeah, so, uh, so I, I don't actually think of it as competition. Of course it is, uh, especially in being the home of Startup Bootcamp and Smart City. It's uh, There's a lot going on here. Um, but we think that it's uh, competition is necessary for us to keep innovating and keep, you know, not stay stagnant with a model that we've always done, um, but keep recruiting startups for what we offer as value. So it's a good challenge in that way, uh, refining how we, how, what we're looking for and so on. Um, and Amsterdam's a great environment to be in. We just hope to kind of contribute to that and help them improve it. Uh, it's already great itself, but contribute the Techstars culture of give first and um, foster that where we can. How big uh, is going to uh, be the team of uh, Techstars on the ground here? So I'm the first on the ground, um, but it's every program has two. So program manager, which myself, very operations focused. Uh, ultimately, I'm there to, to run the best program for the founders possible. And then the managing director, who's very investment focused. Uh, so it's the two of us. Um, we'll have other people coming in and out from Techstars for sure, but it's mainly the two of us. And then also during program, um, between four and nine associates that are working with the companies as well. So how about this uh, second person? Do we uh, do you already have uh, uh, someone in mind for that role? 
there is someone that will be announced very soon, <laughs> but unfortunately I can't. Um, I don't know if it's completely confirmed yet. So yeah, very close. Great, that's something to look forward to. Uh, then the last uh, question, more of a uh, wide and broad one. What do you think is the future of uh, startup acceleration in general? And don't you think that uh, the general business model of startup accelerators is not as good anymore as it used to be? Yeah, I think it's um, already evolving a lot um, as time goes on. Techstars, for sure, it's been 10 years of Techstars, and um, the the model has, although it looks the same, a three-month accelerator, evolved in, in a great way. Um, and I think the companies are starting to be a bit later stage, and so we, we continue uh, to evolve to meet that. The main thing about Techstars is every program is very... Um, it's. I think increasingly all accelerators will need to be very personalized per company. Um, that model of, of this is the, the content that every company needs just doesn't work, especially as you get later stage. Um, and so we're getting more and more personalized. But the thing about Techstars, we are mentorship-driven accelerators. That's that's completely what we are, is um, the mentors that we bring around the program are uh, shape it and are so important. Um, and so that does make it much more flexible. Um, Long-term... Yeah, I think I think it will need to uh, evolve, um, but I don't have many great predictions on that just yet. Great, thank you very much, uh, Kelly Adam, program manager at uh, TechStars Amsterdam, uh, here at uh, Angel Island. Uh, thank you so much for answering these questions. Uh, uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and welcome to Amsterdam. Thank you very much. Really happy to be here. Hello again, we are back to the TechEU podcast number 89. We're still discussing the main news stories uh, coming our way over the past uh, seven days. So the next one I wanted to talk about is that the UK newspaper industry is demanding a levy on tech firms. So here is what happened. The News Media Association, uh, which represents most of the newspapers in the UK, has asked the British government to introduce a financial levy for Google and Facebook to fund journalism and compensate for the lost advertisement revenue. So in a nutshell, uh, what NMA is saying is that the newspapers lose income because their stories, including just the headlines and snippets, are available on Facebook, are shown on Google search and so on and so forth. So NMA says, how about Facebook uh, would pay us every time that a link to a story shows up in someone's newsfeed? And here's a direct quote from uh, an uh, anime spokesperson from The Guardian's report that I will link to in the show notes. Quote, the primary focus of concern today is the loss of advertising revenues which have previously sustained quality national and local journalism and are now flowing to the global search engines and social media companies who make no meaningful contribution to the cost of producing the original content from which they so richly benefit, unquote. In addition to that, NMA suggests that Facebook and Google start promoting news sources that have shown, quote, consistent quality, unquote, of journalism. Uh, so that would be basically free advertising on social media platforms uh, for the quality publications. Well, so those are some pretty strong words, especially when they say that there's no meaningful contribution. And it's also a bit of a slippery slope deciding exactly what is quality journalism. I would imagine this can be left up to interpretation and who's going to decide. 
Yeah, and it's not it's not just that. Uh, I see that it's also not just like quality driven, but consistent quality, which basically means that, for example, a new entrant in the space uh, would be sort of uh, uh, left uh, out of uh, all this uh, suggested process. So I, I, it's kind of like it's that it doesn't seem very reasonable to me at this point. Uh, but they also have another requirement, uh, which is, I would say, a bit less unreasonable. So the NMA says that it wants the tech companies to give a reasonable notice of any changes to terms of business or to algorithms which uh, impact news publishers. So that kind of makes sense because we all remember when uh, Facebook changed uh, uh, the algorithms uh, and uh, suddenly a lot of uh, traffic uh, was lost to news publishers. So that that, that, that kind of makes sense. But but all in all, uh, I think this uh, whole thing uh, looks a lot like the link tax uh, proposed as part of the EU copyright directive that we discussed on this podcast earlier. And back then, uh, I think I also mentioned that uh, there are two precedents already in the EU that publishers were able to impose uh, uh, similar fees on Google. And in both cases, in Spain and in Germany, Google either shut down Google News completely or just removed the publishers in question from it. And in both cases, the publishers had to go back to Google and ask to be included uh, in uh, Google News again, and they didn't ask for any additional extra payments again. So uh, I really uh, liked also what uh, Martin uh, Bryant uh, wrote about this in his newsletter, Big Revolution. So check it out if you haven't yet. Uh, I will just quote one paragraph uh, that uh, comes towards the end of his piece. Quote, that's not underhand or evil, that's just evolution. If Facebook has to begin paying to display previews of articles, you can bet news firms will be paying that money straight back to Facebook to buy more reach for those articles, unquote. Yeah, I, I think that's really on point and it's a great quote. That's also exactly what uh, what kind of I was thinking because this is just not not the right way to regulate the relationship between publishers and tech companies. There's definitely there definitely has to be some regulation to it, and I do understand the issue that the publishers are facing right now. And I'm all for well-funded newspapers that can afford quality journalism. I'm a journalist myself, after all, but I just don't think this uh, this makes sense in the current form. And same goes for the link tax, uh, for that matter. So this has been the news of the week, and now we can move on to the event announcements. And Natalie, what should we expect in the next weeks? Great. So currently, as I mentioned before, I'm heading to Mondial Tech in Paris, which is held in conjunction with the Paris Motor Show. So we're going to be talking all about the future of mobility, auto tech, and everything to do with cars and urban transport. And a few of the other um, events that are happening in this week. Andre, um, are you going to be traveling anywhere? Uh, I will go to Finland for three days to look at the local uh, AI startups and the ecosystem. So if you are a Finnish startup listening to this, uh, please let me know. Uh, we can uh, we can talk uh, if you're around Helsinki uh, between October 8 and 10. And after that, I will probably also attend a local conference in Amsterdam called the World Summit AI. All right. That sounds great. And after Mondial Tech, I'll be heading to Health Pioneers in Vienna, and that's October 10th. And Robin Wouters, our 
founding editor, will be heading to the Ruhr Summit in Bochum, Germany on the 11th and 12th of October. So if you'll be at any of those events, let us know and give us a shout. So thinking about the other events that are happening in October. So there's lots of things happening around the continent dedicated to coding because it's European Code Week. And despite being called European Code Week, it actually goes on from October 6th to the 21st of October. So they've extended the week a little bit. But all that means is that there's tons of events, lots more going on. So check out what's on in your area at Code Week EU. Or even better, if you know how to code, pitch in, volunteer to teach, help out, I'm sure that would be very welcome. And other things, if you're looking ahead on the calendar, um, I think it's pretty exciting. There's a great week of tech events happening in Dublin, um, starting on the 15th of October, going to the 17th. You can join Robin Walters at SAS Talk, which is all about SAS, um, Software as a Service. And you can stay on in Dublin because from the 17th to the 18th, the Uprise Festival is happening in the north of the city. And it's a great event that's really engaging with this conversation we've been having a lot lately in Europe, this role of humans and technology and kind of navigating that. And it looks to be a really great event. And you can find these events and more on our website. And if you have a suggestion about something to add, let us know. There's a link in the show notes where you can submit your own event and get that on the calendar. Now, this sounds great. You know, I, I just thought we might want to introduce a special award uh, for anyone who manages to meet you, me, and Robin at different events uh, within, uh, say, one week. Oh, that would be we should, awesome. Uh, we, we, we should... <laughs> we should have some like special stamps or something to verify this and uh, that there must be there must be a special prize like one year of uh, a free subscription to our premium newsletter with all the european deals we absolutely should do that oh we should and we will definitely how about we'll interview you on our podcast we'll give you a special interview if you happen to catch each of us all around europe in the same week great idea yeah game on from now on <laughs> right okay let's move to let's move to the next uh, point which is the recommendations i have not uh, anything to recommend really so let uh, I, I will just let you natalie take the floor and uh, tell more about what uh, you would like to share with uh, with the listeners well andre that's not true because you are going to be recommending our special techie report on the state of european auto tech this week, which comes out at the Mondial Tech event in Paris. So I also wanted to take a moment to mention our, our State of European Auto Tech report, which is freely available for download on TechEU website. It doesn't cost you a thing. So please have a look at that. So this report is a snapshot into some of the numbers and all the auto tech deals in Europe from 2017 to halfway a point of 2018. So if you've been following the investment trends, a few big deals will stick out to you recently. So two rounds for Cabify in 2017 and 2018, which values the business at $1.4 billion. 
dollars. And in January, 460 million euros went to Auto One Group in Berlin. And more recently, 150 million, a big deal for Taxify from Estonia. So Autotech is a huge market in Europe with lots of big money in it. But the most money seems to be going to companies where there's already a very proven market. So thinking about Cabify and Taxify and ride hailing, there was an exit um, in Greece for Taxibeat. And we look at Auto One and Frontier Auto in the used car sales. So those are really established markets. But if we think about those cutting edge innovations, the industry 4.0 types of technologies, the innovation of those things in Europe tends to be dominated by the really big European manufacturers. And as such, we don't really have a ton of information on the amount of investment into these sorts of technologies. So this is also confounded by the fact that many of the deals and investments to startups, especially those that are made by corporate investors, are not reported or we don't have complete information about that. So that is one challenge when it comes to data. But from the information we do have, there are a number of really interesting technologies that startups are working on, but they might not be attracting the sums of investment like those very proven markets are that I mentioned earlier. So ride hailing and auto sales. But the competition out there, it's really fierce. And the amount of money that's being spent in the US and Asia on auto tech, this is really big sums. And thankfully, many of Europe's top auto manufacturers are doing a ton of outreach at the ecosystem level. They're supporting companies, accelerating and investing in startups, and they really couldn't do it without them. Right. So have you seen what could be the special thing for a European auto tech? It does really stand out to you in that report. So there was a number of really interesting stories that came out of the data, but something that you see is a real strength in Europe is when it comes to city solutions or kind of the uh, car in the city, so automotive solutions for an urban environment. So there's a lot of really exciting technologies, and I think part of it is because of the dense urban cities that we live in here in Europe and all of our experiences with them. So you see really neat things for problems like parking. Parking is really annoying for everyone. And in a lot of places, it can be the worst thing ever. And because it's one of the worst things, fixing it and fixing it in a way that's useful and elegant and effective is really complicated. So one of the coolest solutions out there that I found doing this report is done by this French company that's called Stanley Robotics, which makes a valet parking robot. And this is really the coolest thing ever. So you drive up to a parking bay and there's this huge robot that has a blue face on it. So it has eyes and a mouth and it comes up to your car. It delicately lifts your car by the tires and parks it in an area that's most efficient. So you just drive up, you leave your car, the robot takes it away for you. It's so great. It's really cute. And I absolutely love it. Wow. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess it would get some, uh, it would take some getting used to <laughs> this te technology like this. Uh, but yeah, this sounds this sounds like the future, particularly for, uh, for the European cities, uh, particularly for places like Amsterdam city center, where you just cannot find a place to park uh, on a weekday uh, during the day at all. 
Exactly. And right now it's being used at a, a few French airports. And so who knows, um, Stanley, the robotic valet might be coming to a town near you. Wow, that's uh, no, that's amazing. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing something like this when I uh, when I park next time. So, is the report uh, was there anything that was particularly surprising for you uh, in the report, or did you know uh, what was going to come out of it? I mean, every time you do one of these, there's always a lot of learning involved, and really here. I learned so much doing this report. But the main thing I think that was surprising or really stood out to me, and maybe this is not all that surprising to those of you that are working in the automotive and mobility sector a lot, but when you compare it to the other sorts of technologies we follow here at tech.eu, you really notice the necessity here of a strong ecosystem. And of course, strong ecosystems are important to all sorts of technology, everything that we're building. But if you're working on anything automotive, anything, and really absolutely anything that these technologies touch, they must be so integrated with other types of technologies. But when it comes to mobility, these innovations, they're all governed by different sorts of regulations. So if you don't integrate with partners out there, you're going to become obsolete really quickly. And this is even harder when you have so many established firms that are working in this sector. And you see it there that even you have very long established competitors like BMW and Daimler that are really coming together to make partnerships in order to survive. So it's really interesting how you see these different connections happening. And thankfully, these established manufacturers are all partnering and working with startups too. But it really gives me, and I think all of you should really have quite a lot of appreciation for those that are working on auto tech companies. And you often hear this like kind of trite saying that hardware is hard, but when it comes to auto tech, it's way more than this. It's a completely different animal. And these companies that are out there that are building things like flying cars, and yes, they are out there, and cars that drive on water, cars that are driving on completely renewable resources, things like that, some of them are working entirely independently. And it really underlines how incredible some of the work that is out there being done. And that really stands out to me. Okay, so I guess I should be able to ask you uh, for a preview link later after we record this. Uh, but uh, for everybody else, where can uh, everyone download uh, this uh, report? Yeah, so you'll be able to download the Autotech report from our website, tech.eu. So just go to our site and look at our heading bar and click reports, and you'll see it right there. And it's free. Have a look. Let me know what you think. If I miss anything or if there's something you want to add, I would love all the feedback. This looks like it's pretty much it. We have discussed a few really important uh, stories and uh, made a few really important uh, points coming from the news over the past week. Uh, that's it for today's podcast. I hope you all have enjoyed it. Don't miss our new episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Just look for tech.eu podcast. 
Tell everyone you know about the podcast, follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU and on Facebook, just tech.eu. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at andre at tech.eu or just ping us on Twitter. Please download our AutoTech report uh, from the link that uh, will appear in the show notes. Enjoy the rest of your week. Talk to you next Wednesday. Natalie, thanks a lot for joining today and uh, have fun traveling. Thanks, Andre. Okay, bye now. Bye. <laughs>